Well, God bless you, uh, Dr. Max uh, Orland and your lovely wife and family. Uh, thank you for your support throughout the years and friendship. You know, usually this time of the year, we'd be hanging together at Bill Winston's conference, uh, probably another time. And thank you for your kind uh, condolence messages you sent to our family. We so appreciate that. <clears throat> it's conference time for you. And, uh, you know, Kingdom Life Embassy has done a phenomenal job throughout the years, how you've literally taken uh, a warehouse or just a vacant building and converted it into a massive entity that's vibrant, literally a living organism. And uh, we commend you for that. You have such a, a, uh, a good reputation for producing good work and uh, exemplifying that work uh, with the spirit of excellence. And uh, we pray that you guys are safe and will remain safe. Thank you for helping the, the hundreds of people uh, in this difficult time with, with food support, clothing support, uh, counseling support and backup. Uh, it, it's so appreciated. And may your ministry thrive and do well. Uh, your conference this year is uh, your Heaven and Earth Conference. And the theme is the word became flesh. So let's get straight into the word. I'm going to go to the book of St. John, chapter number one, verse one, and then go to one, two, and three, and then jump into verse number 14. Uh, this is the apostle John, and uh, it's the last book he's writing. Uh, when Jesus was on the cross, uh, there were Mary and then Mary's sister, the mother of Jesus' sister, and John. And uh, the scripture records that Jesus spoke seven times on the cross. And one of those seven times he addressed <clears throat> the domestic issues because he was the older brother and it was the older brother's responsibility to assign care for his living mother, who was a widow, because Joseph had died somewhere around about chapter 14 or 15 of the book of Matthew, where the Bible says the people came to him and said, your mother and your brothers are outside the camp searching for you. And the Bible names his brothers. There was James, there was Simeon, there was Judas, uh, and his sisters. And so Jesus was probably one of seven. He was the oldest of seven. One child for every day of the week. One child for every uh, dispensation in the seven levels of what God does. And so uh, when John is going to write the Gospel of John, he will have, uh, you don't hear too much about him, only in Acts chapter number eight, when he goes with Peter to Samaria, to open the heavens for the Holy Spirit to be poured out. But there's nothing recorded about the Apostle John throughout the book of Acts, simply because he was taking care of his first responsibility, uh, Jesus' mother. And then, historically, Josephus and other historians will state that uh, General Titus, with the 12th Legion, uh, destroyed the city of Jerusalem in 70 A.D., that Jesus prophesied would happen in Matthew 24. And so uh, 
theologians and scholars believe that uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, died just before the destruction of Jerusalem. And they believe that Jesus would not allow his mother to suffer another painful era because she already went through one with Jesus being born who didn't look like any of his other brothers. And so John was then freed to minister uh, the gospel. Uh, and, and part of that freedom to minister the gospel, he found himself exiled on a bald stone called Patmos in the middle of the Mediterranean with uh, war criminals and political criminals, murderers and rapists, and Johnny's on that island. And while he's on that island, he begins to write books. He wrote the book of Revelation, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. I looked behind me and I saw uh, seven candlesticks and the Lord standing in the candlesticks. So John saw the church age. And after he wrote the book of Revelation, he then wrote 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. Those books were written when he landed off Patmos, set, first, set free by Emperor Dermotian, and uh, he landed in Ephesus. And if you read a book by Jerry Ramsey entitled Christianizing the Roman Empire, on page 25 and 26, Jerry Ramsey has a quote there, and the quote is that when John came off Patmos and went to uh, the temple in Ephesus, you'll find this in chapter number 19 of Acts, that John prayed a 26-word prayer, and when he prayed that prayer, the altar of Diana and Artemis exploded bringing a dent and a wound to the spirit of Jezebel now manifesting as Diana because the Ephesians were shouting in Paul's day, great is the goddess Diana, so much so that the whole city was shaken. After that altar collapses uh, and peace begins to come throughout the known body of Christ, John is the only living apostle, the only living apostle that saw Jesus. All the others had gone to be with the Lord. There were other apostles that were emerging. John's uh, protege, Irenaeus, was emerging, and Irenaeus' protege uh, and mentor, Polycarp, was also alive. But now, the last book to be written of the 66-book Bible is the Gospel of John. Now remember, John was about 17 when he met Jesus. John is now almost 100. So he's at 80 years to think about what he's going to write. 80 years. So the Gospel of John doesn't sound like Matthew, Mark, Luke. It's not a synoptic Gospel. It's totally different. John has in his Gospel stories that should have been in the other Gospels. For example, turning water into wine, John 2. Uh, a man that was sick for 38 years who picks up his bed and walks. John 5, uh, a man that was blind from his mother's womb and got healed in a miraculous way. He was 40 years old. John chapter number 9, the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Uh, he was dead for four days, John 11. So capt captions such as those, including like John 14, 
If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. John 14, verse 14. The works that I do, greater works than these shall ye do. John 14, verse 12. I am the vine, you are the branches. John 15, verse 1. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, you can ask what you will. John 15, verse, 17, uh, verse 7. So such scriptures, you know. And then John concludes the book and says, If I was able to write everything that Jesus did and taught, I suppose the very world itself could not contain the deeds of Jesus. And so uh, when John writes this book, he's writing it from a perspective of being with Jesus' mother for almost 80 years. And there were things that she told John that the other disciples didn't hear. Uh, my mom passed away a couple of weeks ago and my brother that was looking after was telling, telling us uh, that mom started telling them stories about her childhood years that we'd never heard of and uh, in intimate and intricate things about our individual lives that we had no idea about. And so you can imagine the Apostle John uh, being with the mother of Jesus for almost 70 years, 80 years, and, and she telling him his first words, his first steps, the first time he cried, maybe the first time he got scratched, the first day in school, what actually happened on the three-day journey going back to the temple, working with Joseph and all of those things. Uh, there was a massive resource of knowledge. And of all the things that John could have said and could have written, this is how he starts his gospel, the last of the, of the Bible books. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him. And without him was nothing made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in darkness. And the darkness didn't comprehend it. Verse number 14, your theme. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and full of truth. And so that word was made flesh. In First John, the Bible says there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Spirit. And so Jesus' heavenly name is the Word. So in the beginning was the word, that's Jesus. That word was with God, Jesus was with God. That word was God, Jesus was God. The same in the beginning was with God, that's Jesus. And he was the life and the light of men. And uh, that word in verse 14 was made flesh. So the invisible word, the transfixed invisible word, the living rhema of heaven, the life of heaven was actually now transposed into the earth in human form, came through uh, the body of Mary by the seed of the Holy Spirit and came and experienced a, a, a human 
experience to give every human being a spiritual opportunity to meet with God. And so words are very important. From the very beginning, uh, God said, let there be. And so the entire kingdom of God, the entire family of man is word activated and functions on words. Uh, we know that animals communicate. Watching a documentary a few weeks ago, uh, there was a submarine that happened to come across uh, a huge company of whales and uh, they were communicating and they were like little squeaks and so on and they were with them for a few days and uh, what they began to, to realize that there was a, a, a distant, uh, like a squeal and they found that, they, that there was a whale that was in distress that some ocean-going vessel had hit the whale and it was injured. And with its communication style was summoning the other whales to help it. And they showed how those whales began to nurse this one that was fairly badly injured, how they nursed it back to health by bringing it food. Some of the whales were regurgitating fish and, and feeding it and nurturing it. But even though they were communicating, they weren't using words. Uh, all kinds of life forms communicate in their own way. Human beings communicate with words. And so the words we communicate with, they're not just words so that we can understand each other. These words are actually life-producing or death-causing. And you know this, Proverbs chapter number 18, 20 and 21, that a man's belly will be satisfied with the fruit of his lips, that a man's belly is satisfied with what he says, because death and life is in the power of our words. We will be judged by every idle word we speak. And so our words then produce life. Our words frame our world. And uh, they are words that we, we, we grow up with that we, we don't think are harmful, but they, they actually are. It's like if somebody cracks a joke and we laugh, we'll say something like, oh man, that's killing me. And just simple things like that, we actually activate a death cycle or a death sentence when we don't mean that. And so we have to be very cautious. We have to guard our mouths because the things we say definitely affect our lives. And you guys are well-learned. You understand this as well as I do, if not even better. But in breaking down this particular teaching, uh, the, the power of words is that when God spoke the world into existence, he activated a word, a world of words and he gave the power of those words to human beings. Of all the creatures he created, he gave the human the ability to communicate with words. Adam used words. The first words he used were not told, but he talks and communes with God in the cool of the day. God told him to name the animals. There's no record of Adam saying, this is an elephant, this is a lion. The Bible says he did it. And what he named them was so. So we can only assume 
that what we call an elephant is what Adam said it was in the beginning. That's how much power Adam's words were. Because not only did he name the animals, he was able through his mind to transcendentally transmit and conduct a study on their behavior, their psychic, and, and the, their structure. He was able to differentiate between herbivores and carnivores, etc., etc. That's how powerful the dimension of his mind was because we think in pictures, but we communicate in words. Many times the things we see in our mind in a, in a vision, we don't have adequate words to describe what we see. Whereas God, who sees in pictures and in visions, God is able to express his vision and make it clear. Habakkuk told us to do that in Habakkuk chapter number two. He said, when you see the vision, write it and make it plain so that those that read it might be able to read it and run. And so writing the vision and people being able to read also means that writing and reading are connected to speaking. And so what we want to do then is if we see something in our mind, it means then we have to expand our, our vocabulary to give the details to certain things. So you can see a thing and you can't own it if you cannot describe it. And so if you, for example, if uh, we take an organ that we have here at the back of the church and we drop it somewhere in the middle of an Amazon jungle, or let's say, in my case, a, a jungle in Gabon or in the Congo, and uh, there are people there that have never seen an aeroplane or a car or other human beings. They might still be wearing loincloths. And you put that thing with 88 keys. They may think it's a different kind of an animal and those keys are teeth. But the thing is that because they've never seen it, what they name it, it will be. Uh, what they name it, it becomes. And so it's important for us to understand that uh, before we are harsh or, or, or brash rather to, to, to name something thinking must be involved and in my view as a man thinketh that's how he is so before we make words flesh we have to think a process through so let's, let's deal with the thinking part of things Africans are not known to be originators of thought because a lot of times we are told to do things and generally we are so obedient. I mean, South Africa is a little bit different because you guys toy toy for anything. But in, in anything above South Africa, generally are subservient. It's, it's even though people may want to express themselves or demonstrate and so on, we just take it and take it and take it. And so the, the process then is uh, thinking things through. So let's deal with a simple thing like South Africa gaining independence. We, we make the word flesh. We, we are going to be independent. We are going to be independent. So Tambo comes up and here comes uh, uh, Mandela and uh, Be Steve Beko and others and there's so many that, that we can mention, they're all calling for independence, and uh, independence seems to be far away. 
and then furfurt and then both uh, etc make it more difficult with apartheid uh, uh, sectors of different people groups and makes independence even more difficult but now you have a group of people in all these racial sectors who are more adequate uh, more uh, adamant rather independence 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 and we're saying we want independence and so independence comes in 94 mandela's out of jail in 92 but now you are an independent nation wouldn't it be better that the process of of saying independence should be preceded by deep thought because with deep thought structures then can be placed in which words can be then structured in say so we're giving some detail in the problem with africa as a whole we are independent without having learned how to govern we are owning properties without having learned how to manage a property we are starting companies without understanding how money actually works uh we are building schools without having deep faculties of thoughts and research uh we have uh title deeds or we have uh papers that we don't understand the actual value of a paper or an agreement and so we don't keep them in safe places and so the tendency then is once we come into a little bit of money or something we tend to go to high visuals without deep investment and so generally we without much thought we we the bigger the house the better i was talking to a young man just a few weeks ago it's him his wife and they have two kids and he's building a monstrosity of a house eight bedrooms four lounges uh one and a half kitchens uh a massive swimming pool and the kids are like 8 and 10 and so within 8 years the children won't be there and so you're going to have two people in a massive house that don't know each other and and living in separate rooms because yes i'm going to have a big house that's what they said but not much thought has been given to that chich and i have a, a huge home we want to downsize because it's just three of us in that house we needed a bigger home when all the boys were there uh but now we're trying to downsize so my point i'm making here is that thought precedes the word making flesh so let's go and look how god deals with it before god said let there be before god created the heaven and the earth jesus was slain before the foundation of the world and so i'm in a deep study which involves engineering on on what the foundation of the world is how do you get a planet that's round as a football spinning on its own axis rotating around the sun in 365 days and a quarter uh the fourth of nine planets if we include plato speeding around the sun which is the center of our solar system 93 million miles away the source of our energy which is part of a galactic system called andromeda how in the world how in the world uh did did god put all of that in being uh but before all of that was seen god killed jesus on the cross before the foundation of the world 
So in his mind, God had a lot of thought. Okay, my son is slain from the foundation of the world. But the reason my son is slain before the foundation of the world, I'm going to create heaven and earth. And I'm going to populate heaven and eventually I'll populate earth. And then I'm going to create in the earth. And out of my words, my words are going to be made flesh. Let there be light, flesh, light. And then let the waters separate and they separate. Cause this the sea or the ocean, cause this land. And then in 11, verse 11 of chapter 1, uh, God commands the earth to bring forth uh, all kinds of grasses and seeds in themselves and fruit with seed in itself and fills the entire earth with vegetation, with flora and fauna. And then God on the fourth day creates the sun to rule the day and the moon to rule the night and he made the stars. And, and then God begins to fill up the oceans with fish of all kinds of living things, big and small, massive sea creatures and microscopic beings. And then on the sixth day, in the morning, God creates all the animals, and in the evening, he, he said, let us make man in our image. But before all of those things that had become flesh, in his thinking, the son was already slain before the foundation of the world. And when Adam was made in spirit form, in the image and in the likeness of God, and was given dominion, was given the power to be fruitful, to uh, multiply, to replenish, to subdue, and have dominion. Before all of that, the son was already slain from the foundation of the world. When Adam was put into the earth and built out of the dirt of the ground, in chapter number 2 and verse 7 of Genesis, Adam, even though he was functioning with a high level of academic knowledge, there's one thing that Adam didn't know in his vast uh, library of information and knowledge. Even though he had named everything that he was told to name, he had no idea that there was a son made in his image that was going to die for the sin he was about to commit. He had no idea. Because God gave thought before he spoke. And so the devil spoke to Eve, used the serpent, and the serpent spoke to Eve and said, God knows the day you eat of this fruit, you will surely die. And so the words the devil used through the serpent, Eve didn't give thought to what was said. She should have given thought before she spoke. She took the fruit, ate it, and gave it to her husband. He didn't use any thought before he ate of that fruit. Because if you speak before you think, it's usually a challenge. Some people have constipation of the brain and diarrhea of the mouth. It's important that, that your thoughts are, are coordinated, that they are systematic, that, that when I was a child, I spoke before I thought, but now that I've become an adult, I think before I speak. And so it is important for us to understand that if God puts an idea in your mind, it's important for you to give that, my, that thought, that uh, idea, a lot of thought. You have to interrogate that thought. I was listening to a documentary on Boris Spassky, one of the greatest chess players of all time, along with Bobby Fischer. Men that are 
total geniuses, total geniuses. For a person like me that plays chess once every 10 years, uh, they'll checkmate me in maybe two or three moves. But these guys can sit, literally, for days on days with one chess game, having figured out, even can beat computers in chess games because there are moves that they figured out that their thinking is ahead even of that of a, a very high level computer. Point here is that yes, we want the world to be made flesh and yes, we want to see answers for our challenges and yes, we want the breakthrough in our lives and yes, we want God to give us the things we've believed for and yes, we want the car and the house and the wife and the children and the yacht and the travel and first class and the holiday and uh, the, the Rolex watch and the material things and to be the first one in space on Richard Branson's new space program. Yes, we want our Majat Man United team to win and that's not gonna happen. These, yes, we want all of those things. There has to be thought first before we speak. So God thought about it. I'm gonna make a man. He's gonna have a free mind because he's got a free mind to choose between good and evil. If he chooses evil, I have a plan. If he chooses good, this is what's gonna happen with him. At some point, he'll walk in glorification. And, and the plan works out. And, and all the way you see God's plan working out, he, he introduces the plan with significance words. So let me go to uh, uh, a, a single for instance. I'm now in the book of 1 Samuel chapter number 3. 1 Samuel chapter number 3. We have now endured up to this chapter almost 310 years of an era called Judges. This is in the dispensation of the law. And so the Bible says in those days Judges ruled and there was a famine in the land. That's from Ruth. And then suddenly God is working several angles. On this side, God is working with Naomi and Ruth and Boaz. And so God is setting up the, 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 the kingship, the dynasty. So Ruth is a Moabite, her husband dies, her sister-in-law's husband dies, her father-in-law dies, lands up in Bethlehem and starts working in Boaz's fields and gets favor and marries Boaz. So God is working with a, a dynamic here. On this side, God is working another dynamic because on this side, you have God uh, trying to resuscitate the, 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 the Ark of the Covenant in Shiloh. The high priest, his name is Eli, he's blind, that means he can't see physically and spiritually. He's obese, that means he's lost control. He, he has absolutely no control, he has no discipline, and that's manifest in, in the avarice and greed of his sons, Phineas and Hophni, who were sexual predators and leches, and they abused the offerings. And so God's working with Elimelech, who has two wives, and one is having children, which is a type of weed, where weeds produce without uh, much encouragement. But Hannah is not a weed, she's a special product. And, and God's going to use Hannah and cause her to want deep intercessory prayer so that the kind of prophet that's going to be needed 
to deal with dynasties is birthed. And so Samuel is then promised by a backslidden priest because the kind of prayer that Hannah is praying to give flesh to a prophet that God wants is not just praying for your snook with apricot jam. This is the kind of prayer that's going to find the will of God that's been hidden in eons of time before the world began. The kind of word that is made flesh here is going to take the kind of determination, prayer, sacrifice, blood, and sweat that will change your life. That the things of this world become so dim and the things of God become so bright that no matter what it costs, you'll endure 27 years of prison. You'll endure persecution. You'll, you'll endure beatings often, being in the deep often, being stoned often, being maligned often, lied about often, so that the word can be made flesh. To pay the price to have a church, you'll be willing to take three nails and beatings to the inch of your life until you shout, it's finished. That's the kind of word that needs to be made flesh. And it needs deep thinkers. You have to think on every angle. If I do this, this might happen. If this happens, what will I do? How will I respond? If I go with this person, what will happen? What's their strength? What's their weakness? And so building a church is a science and an art. It's not just, you know, gimme more, gimme, 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 gimme. I want 1,000 people, 2,000 people, 5,000 people. I want the biggest church in Cape Town. I want 300 buses. I want a private jet. For what? What's the reason for it? And so when, when Samuel is pushed out, uh, Hannah feeds him, but she does three things for this kid. The first thing she's going to do for him, she's going to feed him with her milk. It's the milk of intercessory prayer. Because she's a praying woman, when, when, she, when he sucks from her, he's not just sucking milk, he's sucking her life, her essence, her being. She is making him an intercessor because no other thing is going to feed him. She goes into total isolation and only one thing is going to feed him. It's going to be her words and her milk. Because one day this boy is going to go off milk and is going to be handling meat. The second thing she gives him, she gives him his prophetic edge by predicting his size, by building the ephod. And she's teaching him the principles of, of what she's going to be. And then she prays and she, she, he hears her prayer. And her prayer doesn't fall to the ground. And she's shaping Samuel so that from the age of three, wearing an ephod, the boy is shaped. And the Bible says in 1 Samuel 3 and verse 18, and Samuel told Eli everything that God had showed him because God called his name Samuel, Samuel. Samuel, Samuel. Samuel, Samuel. He called him three times. And the third time he called him, he called him Samuel, Samuel for the outer court. He called him Samuel, Samuel for the holy place. He called him Samuel, Samuel for the holiest of holies for body, soul, and spirit, for faith, love, and charity, for faith, hope, and charity. He called him for, today, for yesterday, today, and tomorrow. God covered all the bases, and God gave a nine-year-old a, a strategy for the nation, spiritually and economic. And so Samuel is raised. And so in verse 19, and Samuel grew, shout Samuel grew. 
shall Samuel grow. If you, if you are going to be in God's presence and have the kind of appetite and aspirations for what God is going to do in your life, you have to be willing to grow in places that are uncomfortable. You can see what these guys are doing. You can see that their life is total rubbish and rot. You can see how they are manipulating the nation and manipulating money and goofing around with the numbers. You can see it. But, but you have to be raised in a very uh, uh, putrid environment to be smelling like a rose, where you can be in a world but not of the world, where you can be in darkness but your light is shining. You can be a diamond in the middle of a sewer and, and maintain your dignity as a pure diamond. And Samuel grows up in verse 19, and Samuel grew and the Lord was with him. I said Samuel grew and the Lord was with him. Sisters and brothers, as you grow, ask the Lord to be with you. Say, Lord, be with me. Say, Lord, be with me. Put your hand on your, on your heart and say, Lord, be with me. I, I, I really want to grow, but I want to grow with God being with me. I, I want to grow in wisdom and in stature, but I got to have God with me. Because what's the use of achieving something if God is not with me? And the Bible says, and he did not let any of his words fall to the ground. In other words, Samuel, from this point, everything you say will not fall to the ground. If you say it, I'll back it up. If you lose it, it shall be loosed. If you bind it, I will bind it. Samuel, your words will be made flesh. Oh yes, I'm praying for every believer watching this broadcast that your words will not fall to the ground. Oh yes, the Bible says in Luke chapter number 3 and verse 52, the same thing about Jesus. I like what the writer says in concluding the story. The Bible says that the child grew. He grew in favor with God and with man. It's Luke 2 and verse 52. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with man. Sisters and brothers, you will continue to grow and grow in stature. Look at Luke chapter 2 and verse 40. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit and was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was with him. So even though Jesus is the son of God and even though Jesus is the first human being to be on the earth with a heavenly experience, even though Jesus had first-hand knowledge of heaven, and first-hand knowledge of the Father, and first-hand knowledge of the Holy Spirit, and first-hand knowledge of the creation. Even though we had that, there was still growing to be done. And if the word that you speak is going to have flesh, growing has to be done. As his custom was, he went to the synagogue. And as his custom was, he read the scriptures. And as his custom was, he fasted and prayed. And as his custom was, he did his chores. And as his custom was, 
He obeyed his parents, Joseph and Mary. And as his custom was, he was an example to all the brothers and the sisters in his house. And when it was his time, he submitted himself to John as to fulfill all righteousness. And as his custom was, he began his ministry and went from one side, from Dan to Bathsheba, ministering to the sick. Oh yes, the word became flesh. But once the word becomes flesh, it has to produce the kind of result that will be impactful. What's the point of having a word becoming flesh? And then it shall. I heard Jesus say, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. So poor, here I come with the message of prosperity. If there's anybody that knew prosperity, it was Jesus. He saw prosperity at its best. Streets of gold and diamonds for doorknobs. He saw pearls that are bigger than 200 miles wide. Amen. He was rich yet for our sakes. He became poor that through his poverty we might be made rich. Oh yes, poor, here I come. I have a message for you. I've come to preach the gospel to the poor. I've come to preach deliverance to the captives. Jesus was free and free indeed. He whom the sun sets free is free indeed. So I'm going to make that word flesh. Zacchaeus, I set you free. Bartimaeus, I set you free. Woman with the issue of blood, I set you free. Young teenager at Nain, lying in a coffin, I set you free. Oh yes, demoniac, bound with 6,000 devils, I set you free. I've come to preach deliverance to the captives. I've come to open blind eyes. Oh yes, your eyes are opened. You'll see what God wants you to see. The word is made flesh. I've come to preach the acceptable year of Jubilee. It's Jubilee. Debts are canceled. It's Jubilee. Slaves are set free. It's Jubilee. Taxes are canceled. It's Jubilee. The land is coming back. The blessing is coming back. The goods are coming back. The anointing is coming back. The power is coming back. The grace is coming back. It's Jubilee. The word has made flesh. I'll set a woman at the well free. The word has made flesh. I'll go to a place and raise a man that's been sick for 38 years. It's Jubilee. I'm coming to your wedding. I don't need a vine. Just give me water. I'll turn it into wine. Can I preach this thing? Mary Magdalene, I know you're a prostitute and you have seven devils, but I set you free. You'll be the first woman to see me after resurrection. I look at Zacchaeus. Come down from that tree. Salvation is coming to your house. The word has been made flesh. And in the 21st century, battling Apostle Holland to start and continue with your church in Cape Town, South Africa, I declare to you, your word is being made flesh. God's about to draw people you never thought that would come from all races, 
all ethnicities, all beliefs, all echelons in life. The word is made flesh. The apostolic grace is sitting on your life. God is working miracles through your hands. Give your neighbor an elbow. Say, get ready. Get ready for manifestation. I'm calling for a season of manifestation. My words will not fall to the ground. Manifestation is coming. Here come the musicians. Here comes the choir. Here come the millionaires. Here come the buses. Here come the politicians. Here come the businessmen. Here come the teenagers. Oh my God, here come the stadiums. My words will not fall to the ground. The word is made flesh. Give God a praise. Something's about to manifest. What happened before the foundation of the world is about to be made manifest. So in your patience, possess your soul. Give God a praise. Give him a big praise. Give him a big praise. Praise him hard. Praise him for manifestation. Whoa. Isaiah 55 and verse 10. As the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and does not return there, but waters the earth and makes it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. This is for you, Apostle Holland. So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. That word is sure. God didn't intend for you to be in Ethiopia or in the United States or move to Chicago or something crazy. Gobstart is where God put you. His word will not return void and that word is about to prosper. God is increasing your rank and your influence. That word is about to prosper. We thank you for spending these few minutes with us. I'm Bishop Tudor Bismarck from Arare, Zimbabwe, the pastor of New Life Covenant Church. Thank you for taking the time. All the best for your conference in Jesus' name. Amen.